For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barman Grayson entitled, A More Excellent Sacrifice. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon, everyone. Filling in for Matt this afternoon, and uh, he'll be taking my place, I, I think, in either next week or week after. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 1, it says this, For the apostle Paul admonished the church at Rome when he said, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So when you present your bodies, we see this as saying to us that it is a definite act that we choose to do. So this speaks to Christians today. It speaks to all of us in some way to offer, our, uh, offer ourselves to God and, and be a living sacrifice, totally committed to God. You know, Scripture uh, tells us that you cannot serve two masters, for either you'll love one or, or hate the other. So we have to be committed to one or the other. Now, this word sacrifice primarily denotes the act of offering, the act of giving, uh, or the act of forfeiting something. So this sacrifice, you know, when you hear the word sacrifice, it may remind us of those Levitical uh, sacrifices and offerings that, that we see in the Old Testament where an animal was slain and, and presented before God. But here in this verse, it metaphorically refers to a living body and not one that is killed, but one that has, has been dedicated to living a life that is going to be pleasing to God. But how do we present ourselves a living sacrifice? How do we know what to do and how to be holy and uh, separate from the world that we live in, acceptable unto God and, his, and of service to him? Now, in one way, we know the scripture that says we ought to obey God rather than man. And in another way, we are reminded to uh, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. So there are definite doctrines and, and laws that our Lord and our Savior has put into place for our obedience as our masters. But how do we do this? Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please, to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. So in our life, along the way, sometimes doubt enters our mind and we wonder, is God watching us? Is he aware of what we are doing? Is he aware of our problems and our trials and everything that's going on in our life? Do we believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? Now, we do that in many ways. We do that through prayer. We do that by the way we act because we know that we can count on the invisible God to be with us no matter what trial or circumstance that causes us to sort of want to give up or to have doubt about things. But he tells us without faith, it's impossible to please him. In Hebrews 11, we know this scripture. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. Now we've heard this definition many times before. You know from the pulpit. From our reading. And from uh, even as we uh, experience a trial or, or of some kind. That we recall this definition. And for some it may pose a little bit of a question. You know, we might scratch your head and wonder how do we apply it. So, 
Faith has a place in our Christian life. There's an operation, an application to our life that comes about as the need for faith arises. So, as we know, those, there are many, those who have had their faith tested in some way, they know what a struggle it is to overcome whatever doubt or pain or sorrow or whatever thing hinders that faith to have its perfect, uh, have its perfect work and to understand the reason and to have faith in the reason that God is still with you. So we see that faith is made up of things that we hope and pray for and having the confidence that they will manifest themselves because we can see it in our minds and, and we can feel it in our hearts. And we know that it is a matter of trust and belief, not on what we can do, but on what God can do. That Christ, you know, he gives us the strength and the faith to help us along the way. Hebrews 11. In chapters 1 through 8. I'm not going to read uh, the whole uh, list chapter. But we see a list of familiar names. And these are commended for their faith. And there are also some names that are not mentioned. And yet as we uh, see in verse 39. That all of these. Having obtained a good report through faith, did not receive the promises. They may have prayed for a safety. They may have prayed for a, a healing. They may have prayed for something to relieve them of their distress. But they did not receive the promises, but yet they kept the faith and through it, a good report. This word faith is a translation of the Greek word pistis. And it means a conviction or a strong belief. It's based on hearing. The word is used in the New Testament always of faith in God or Christ or in, or in things that are spiritual. When we look back on how we came to believe in God and Jesus Christ and in the doctrines that we believe in, we may remember times in younger days when we you know, heard this uh, preacher read the scripture about faith and preach the word about faith and give examples and give exhortations about how to apply faith and to see its operation and to trust that all good things work to them that love God. So we know faith comes by hearing. It's based on hearing. Romans 10, 17 uh, we go there, it confirms that saying. It says that so then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So hearing the word of God preached and taught over time. It becomes ingrained into our hearts and minds. So that we can walk by faith. In Romans 1, 17 it says that the just shall live by faith. And that we walk by faith and not by sight. So why is faith important? Faith is one of those things where there's a lot of detail, a lot of complexity that surrounds it. And you really can't say, well, it's just simple faith. But it involves a struggle, a fight, uh, uh, in the good fight of faith. Hebrews 11, and in verse 2, as we, as mentioned... Verse 2, by it, the elders obtain a good report. Talking about these names that are listed here in Hebrews 11. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things that do appear. So we see evidence of his being the creator in, of all that we see in, the, in this world. But sometimes faith may be obscure, obscured by doubt. Yet by looking at creation and by knowing the miracle that is in us. Of looking at ourselves in the mirror and realizing that we are made in the image of God. And that we are supposed to learn of his way and apply it and 
so that it becomes a part of our heart and our soul and our mind. And we come to know that these things are the work of God who put life and order into, the, into this world and that we see all around us in every shape, in every form, in color, in variety, in beauty, in function, in design, that's the evidence that God exists. So we know that this world did not happen by accident. But when we first came to believe and have faith, who was there to try to take it all away, to make, it, to make us doubt? It was Satan. So he's the unseen evil. He's the enemy of the word. He's the enemy of faith in God. And he deceives the whole world. Matthew chapter 13. 24 through 30. This tells how tares. Uh, like weeds and thistles. Come to be. In, in verse 24. Jesus spoke this parable. Saying. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was strung, uh, sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. The weeds just have a way of sprouting up between uh, plants and, you know, as you know, people who garden. They know that they've got to keep the weeds down while they're sparse. But when they're growing up, it's like you just give up and give into it, like I have done many times. Verse 27. So the servants of the householder came, and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? From whence then has it tares? Where did these tares, where did these thistles come from? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. Matter of fact, he says to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants replied, Will you then that we go and gather up, you know, pull, pull up these tares? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you pull up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather you together, first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat. Put it into the barn. So in a way we are to be on guard. Not conform to the ways of the world. Because iniquity abounds all around us. Tares grow even among Christian churches. Even among uh, the workplace. Or the school where we, uh, we may uh, have a job. Out on the streets, out in the, on the thoroughfares, in the city, there are tares. And there are those who have probably received good seed, but gave in to the tares. So the disciples in verse 36, they came to Jesus saying, explain the parable of the tares of the field. And Jesus answered and he said, he that sows the good seed is the son of man. We know that the, from the word of God that we uh, are receiving good word that is supposed to be planted into our minds and in our hearts and grow so that we become a better person, a better Christian. And he said, the field is the world. You know, that, that's this age. The good seed are the children of the kingdom whose eyes are set on the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. So verse 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The end of the age. And, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore verse 40. The tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this age. So these tares grow among good seed. These are religious sinners that they look like wheat, but they're empty of the grain. Verse 41, the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire and there shall be wailing 
and gnashing of teeth. So we see how serious it is to let the good seed grow in our lives. And to, if, we, you know, if the tares are growing, to get rid of them. The day is coming when Christ will make that separation. And the tares of this world will be burned up. So he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. God is the spirit, it says, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus was the word. He was the God of the Old Testament who spoke in times past to the prophets, but has in these last days spoken through the apostles. Hebrews chapter 1 Verse 1, God who at sundry times and in different manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus will come again, this time with ten thousands of his, of his saints to execute judgment. This is the reward of the uh, saints when you look at it who have, who have uh, contended against all the trials in their life and the, the troubles that they face and the deceptions and the, and the lies and the injustice, even the pain and death with their faith being tested yet not having received the promise. But the time will come. We know that the saints will be given judgment and that, uh, and that they will possess the kingdom. Jude wrote in verses 15 through 20, he said to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So that time will come when all of the, the uh, troubles that we have in this world and the people that do them we will be given judgment and we are in a uh, learning stage of, of precursors to that that time that is to come so these are verse 16 these are murmurers these are complainers walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaks great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage of gain and respect. We see that going on a lot today. So these are the tares among whom many have had Christian upbringing, but uh, for some reason don't remain faithful. Satan comes in and, and grows the tares in their, in their life. Verse 17, Beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that of Matthew and Mark. And, and Luke and John. Of Paul, Peter and, and others. How that they told you. There should be mockers in the last time. Who should walk after their. Ungodly lusts. Those are scoffers. Whose whole purpose in life. Is to just enjoy themselves. In, in the. Uh, every ungodly way. Stirring up hatred contention and debate because they're not walking in the spirit the Holy Spirit verse 19 these be they who separate themselves sensual having not the spirit but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit it takes faith to be a living sacrifice to be a Christian and be a, walk the Christian way in this life because of so many things that are adverse and go against us. So to be holy means to be set apart as sacred unto God and then acceptable. But how again? As verse 20 reveals, how do we become uh, uh, holy and acceptable? As verse 20 said, praying in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 11, you know, we read of uh, all those people who gave themselves in service and, and trust to the Lord. And the names that are mentioned in this faith chapter, chapter 11, 
each have their own personal story of faith. And they obtain a good report for acting on that faith. Though, they're, though they are dead, it's, they're asleep until uh, they are resurrected. But their example is something that we can look at today. If we took every name that is in Hebrews 11 and gone back to where their story is located, there are gleanings from the way they live that we can draw from that can make us stronger in our faith. Now, when I first uh, was going to do uh, this chapter, I was going to do that. I was going to go through every, uh, every uh, name. But when I got down to Hebrews verse, uh, 11, verse 4, uh, we find the first name that is mentioned in this chapter on faith is that of Abel, whose name means breath. And we see in verse 4 that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. So we see that there is something in this verse that even though he is dead, that it is saying something to us today. We could go on and proceed to the other names. And, and, but anyway, uh, this, this particular verse uh, got me thinking about the sacrifice that uh, faith Abel offered unto God. In reading verse 4, that says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent uh, sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness. That he was righteous. So the exercise of faith. Of our being a living sacrifice. Is going to lead us. Into righteousness. And that his offering still. You know lives on as an example. For us today. Because in it he obtained righteousness. And so in, in wondering. What was it about Abel's sacrifice. That made it more excellent. Than that of Cain's. And what does it represent to us today? Genesis chapter 4. We see that in verse 2 through 4. We see that uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep. A keeper of sheep while Cain was a tiller uh, of soil. And in the process of time. Cain brought an offering of fruit so uh, to the Lord. And Abel brought the firstling of his flock of sheep and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had more respect toward Abel's offerings. And so Cain became upset. He became very angry. And he was dejected because the Lord had accepted Abel's offering and, and, and not his. And, you know, this can probably say a lot about uh, sibling rivalry. But the rest of the story tells how the Lord warned Cain to not be angry. Sin was stirring in the heart of Cain. It was at his door. Satan was knocking. And the Lord said to Cain, turn from this evil. Turn from those evil thoughts and feelings that he was having and overcome this bad attitude that he was in. Ironically, it seems that Abel's offering led to his death at the hands of his brother Cain. So what was the difference between uh, the two offerings? Verse 4 says that Abel's offering was by faith. And from that we may glean that he desired to please God. By taking the firstling. The best of his flock. And uh, the meat thereof. But Cain on the other hand he gave an assortment of produce that came from the ground and when you look at the comparison how much easier is it to just you know pull up the, the plant and the, and the fruit than it, uh, it much easier than it was to slaughter an animal and lay it before the Lord but the Lord knew what was in the heart of Cain it was Cain's attitude that was not acceptable so we know that the 
Lord, that God walked among and talked to those living at that, at that age, kind of fresh out of the Garden of Eden, and that he spoke directly to Cain, even as he did, you know, Adam and Eve. In Genesis 4, verse 4, we see the earliest record which offering was made unto the Lord through, through Abel's uh, uh, offering. Prior to that, there's, I couldn't find any. There's no uh, written details or instruction uh, God-given for uh, making an offering. But Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fall? Did God really not know what was going on in, in, in uh, Cain's mind? But we know from other places in the Bible that God knows our thoughts. And he could see why Cain was angry. But God was telling Cain to stop and think. Look at yourself. At the way he was acting and feeling. Stop and consider the bad attitude that he was in. Sometimes when we have a disagreement with someone and they go into a little bit of anger. We tell them, you know, we see their countenance is different. We know. Their countenance falls. And so we have them say, look at yourself. Look at what you're saying. Hear what you're talking about. You know, take a hold uh, uh, of the things that you're feeling. And so God was telling Cain, just like sometimes in our life as we go along, we may not have God right there telling us in a voice that tells us to stop and think about what you're doing. Instead, we just, we just do it. But then, there's that tiny little, often, that uh, little voice in our hearts and in our minds that tell us, stop and think about what you're doing. So, the Lord knew, God knew what was going to happen. You remember Jesus in Matthew, he said that holding hatred in the heart is the same as having murder, the, uh, the literal act of murder. But we see that God did not take away Cain's free will. And he said in verse 7, If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at your door. And unto you shall be his desire, and ye shall rule over him. A little confusing uh, uh, phrase there, but it's, it's saying from the Amplified Bible, it says, if you do well believing in me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches, crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. That... Uh, Verse taken from the Amplified Bible. Verse 8. And Cain, and Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field. That Cain rose up against Abel his brother. And slew him. But what do these sacrifices. What do they mean to us today? Now as we know the sacrifices. Represented and they look toward. The work and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That in them, we find the way that Jesus made it possible for us to look to him in those sacrifices and what he has done for us. But ancient Israel, for the most part, did not see those things. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, you know, we read uh, this about uh, Christ as our offering and sacrifice. And it says to us today to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself an, uh, 
for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We'd like to look at these offerings. There are five main offerings as, as we see them, uh, read about them in the Bible. The first three are known as uh, sweet savor offerings. There's one, the, the burnt offering. Then there's the, uh, what is called the meat offering. Actually uh, means meal offering. And there's the peace offering. Next is the sin offering. Then the trespass offering. And there are other offerings uh, along the way. But all of these offerings help to see, help us to see how they pointed to Jesus Christ and how they were a type of Christ. Now we don't do uh, sacrifices today, make uh, such offerings. But these offerings were meant for the people of that time, meant for worshipers of God in a way that they could approach God in a faithful way and according to his instruction. Leviticus chapter 1 it, uh, here's what God instructed Moses. He said, speak unto the children of Israel. Say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of, of the flocks. And he goes on and names some of these other animals that, that can be uh, brought. But concerning the burnt offering, Leviticus uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 3, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So our ancestors, your ancestors, went through a lot of work and labor in, in doing and presenting these sacrifices. So the offer we read was to kill uh, this offering. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. How many of us, you know, could... Uh, could do that, to do all that. Some I know, uh, you know, may work in a slaughterhouse, and so it'd be easy, easier for them to do. But I certainly couldn't do something like that. But you know, if you had to, you had to. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. So there was a lot of detail, a lot of uh, things that had to go into the arrangement. And the priests, Aaron's son, sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priests shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. This, uh, this phrase, sweet savor, uh, it's used in a lot of places in Describing the, how it's attached to a lot of the sacrifices and offerings. Savor is just a sweet odor. It ascends to God. As, you know, as a burnt offering, it's completely consumed by fire. And it's given entirely to God. For the priest shall burn all on the altar. But in this, the blood was not burned. It was thrown against the sides of the altar. So the offering represents the entire offering of Jesus Christ to be accepted in our place. He was the perfect sacrifice in whom there was no sin. He was the Lamb of God without blemish to take away the sins of the world. And he was given by the Father as an offering for us. And in the perfection of Christ, you know, we are blessed. And God accepts his perfection in place of our imperfection. There were three types of offering, and which was determined by a person's wealth, by his ability to afford a particular offering. Suppose you were 
a rich person and you had uh, many bulls, cattle, and you chose to bring a pair of turtle doves or, or pigeons as an offering. You can see that it won't be accepted. So if the fruit if the fruit of the field, like what Cain brought, was an acceptable offering, it seems likely that Moses would have named it in detail like he does the burnt offering. But each offering we see from reading the instructions that God gave to Moses had to be the best without blemish or defects and be ceremonially clean or it will be turned away as not fit. So that's Christ for us. He was the best. He was without blemish. He was without sin. And this is how in our life today as a living sacrifice that we offer our best. Malachi chapter 1 uh, verse 7. In Malachi, he, he rebuked the people for bringing uh, sacrifices that weren't acceptable. He said, you offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted uh, you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto your governor. Will he be pleased with you or accept your person, says the Lord of hosts. So there is an expectation from uh, the, uh, the sacrifice and the offerings that, w that we make in our life. Why would they do that? These people not offer the right offering. Because in verse, uh, down to verse 13 it says, You said, Behold, what a weariness it is. And you have snuffed at it, said the Lord. And you brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. From that I gather that, uh, that it was torn. You know, sometimes uh, <laughs> during the uh, process of, of, of cutting the meat, you just grab hold of it and you just sort of rip it apart. It just wasn't uh, sliced in the way it should be. You uh, bring the lame, you bring the sick, thus you brought an offering. That's how you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, says the Lord. So he rebuked the people of his day for offering sick animals, some blind and some lame. And he said to them, you know, sacrifices were common at that time. Uh, they looked at it as work, as a duty, and not as heartfelt after a while them so animal sacrifices we know had to be free of defect and why do, why do, you, why do we think the, uh, animals can replace uh, uh, the uh, the Christ Savior we see that the Lord the eternal he was allowing the animal to die in the worshiper's place. But how could a lowly animal. Be a sacred sacrifice anyway. It's because animals. They were without a nature. To which sin. Could be uh, charged. They are amoral. They are neutral. Thus they were sinless victims. So the burnt offering. Represented something. Totally dedicated. To God. Romans 12. Uh, verse 1. We read earlier. Beseech you, I beseech you brethren. By the mercies of God. That you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed. By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove. What that is. Is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The Living Bible says this. It phrases that, uh, those two verses this way. It says, and so, dear brothers, said the Apostle Paul to those Romans, he said, I plead with you 
to give your bodies to God, to be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, for you or is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. So we see that Jesus offered himself completely to take away the sins of the world. And so we need to be a living sacrifice unto God and take the sins out of our life. So he overcame the world and its temptations. He said that man shall not live by bread alone. And he says to us, be not conformed to this world, but be a living sacrifice to serve God. And, you know, Jesus said to love God, and to love neighbor. So there was this religious official in Mark chapter 12 who uh, asked him, and Jesus had said, you know, love God, love your neighbor. And this religious official said, uh, you've spoken the truth. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength. And to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that dared ask uh, him uh, any questions. So he's telling them you're on the right track, so to speak. Then we see in the Old Testament that there are the meat offerings. God gave Moses, uh, explained uh, this to the people, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord. And like earlier stated. Uh, the meat offering is really a meal offering. Because if you read the context of uh, verse 2. That he shall take thereof. This is in Leviticus 2. 1 verse 2. Uh, he shall take thereof his handful of the flour thereof. So. Uh, it is uh, the context, the meal, it's a meal offering of fine flour. Has nothing to do with meat because in the context, it, you know, it describes fine flour. It's also the only uh, offering that is uh, not uh, taken, offered with uh, the blood, the shedding of the blood. So the burnt offering meant to give one's life completely to the Lord to be committed to him as Jesus Christ was. For he had a mission. To see that our lives. Would become like his. And it also pictured Jesus. As a sacrifice for us. So what could this meal offering mean? Along with total commitment to God. As seen in the burnt offering. The meal offering represents the giving of one's time. And labor to God. Commenters have explained it this way. Said one that the soil for planting has to be broken. Has to be tilled up. And then follows a sowing of the seed. Then there's the cultivation of, of the crop. Then there's the patient waiting for, for rain. And then the harvest. And then the separation of the chaff from the grain or the wheat. And then the grinding of the grain into fine powder. And then the baking of cakes, which, you know, that also takes effort. So a lot is involved in this meal offering. It's a sacrifice of time and labor, making this offering to give to the Lord. So this meal offering reflects the love of Christ for us, for our sake. And it also represents our labor to enter into the rest that is to come. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are his building. So staying faithful to God is a good fight. Even though there are all kinds of problems that make us want to give it up. We look to faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things uh, not seen. That will materialize. 
because we let faith have its perfect work. We're familiar with Romans 8.28 where it says all things work together to them that love God. Because it does take faith. It does take conviction to believe this. The uh, Living Bible says we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. So knowing and trusting in this particular verse, letting the will of God accomplish our, our desire, there is a feeling of peace that comes when we ask for peace of mind. In a prayer we may have bring before him a, a doubt or a worry or some trial that we it's out of our hands to solve and at the end of the prayer we feel this this uh, feeling of understanding. <clears throat> the next one is a peace offering. I'm not going to uh, go into that, but uh, we see that by the sacrifice of Jesus himself, he made peace for us by the shedding of his blood in our place. And we have, and having made peace, uh, John 14, 27 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. So do we need peace of mind? Does the world need peace? Does our nation need peace? Philippians 4 says that the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep our hearts and mind through Christ and Jesus. So don't worry about anything as the living Bible says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more powerful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. So, uh, so says the reading in, in the living Bible. There are many in the room here who have endured a lot of trial, who have endured pain and sorrow and sickness and worries and doubts and have come through it. And so I would uh, probably venture to say that your name is probably written there in Hebrews chapter 11. So there are a lot of names there that we can probably identify with. There's also the trespass Offering, uh, <laughs> let's see, I apologize to Brian because I'm skipping ahead on scriptures and things, and uh, so I'm not going, uh, as my tendency to do is to leave some scriptures there on the outline for you to look up if, you, if you'd like, but uh, Leviticus 5, 6 has to do with the trespass offerings, which is for actual daily sins and then there's a sin offering there in Leviticus uh, 5 because sometimes uh, there, uh, if a soul commits a trespass and sin through ignorance verse 14 of chapter Leviticus 5 through ignorance or unintentionally in the holy things of the Lord he shall bring forth his trespass unto the Lord and unto the priest to make an atonement so we see that it is through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can come to him to have forgiveness of sin. Then we see in Numbers 18.24 the heave offering. In Psalm 51 uh, it says, verse 16, For you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it, said David. You delight not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Verse 34, uh, Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is close unto them that are of broken heart and saves such as be 
of a contrite heart. Though many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Had we been living at that time when sacrifices were made, we would have come to God with our offering, and from it we would have had that feeling of knowing that we have pleased God and that he has accepted our sacrifice. So Jesus gave his life for you, for me. He, he paid, uh, we we're bought with a price, and uh, he ransomed us from sin and, and the death penalty, and uh, he, uh, we're in his hand. He won't let us go. Galatians chapter 1, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to whom be glory forever and ever. So by the sacrifice of Christ we find that God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance and be forgiven. Then we see about the wave offering found in Exodus 29, verse 24, and Leviticus 23, 17 through 20. They show loaves that are baked with leaven that represent the offer. That is the person. That is the sinner. Then we see the drink offering, uh, which is said to represent the complete consecration of the believer who pours out his life for the service of God. So we, today we see in a brief way that all these offerings pointed to Christ and the Lord's work of forgiveness and redemption of a peculiar people, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So the offering of Abel was by faith, and we live by faith to serve the Lord and offer our best and it's an example for us today because by faith by giving ourselves unto the Lord through thick and thin that uh, we receive a good report I'll close with uh, Romans chapter 12 uh, verse 1 as the apostle Paul as he said to cry uh, the apostle of Christ said I beseech you brethren uh, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies that is you know your life you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service 